Hi there, I'm Lee Brainerd and welcome to Soothkeep. Today I would like to encourage your hearts with another rapture nugget. Now, as many of you know, my favorite subject is the new heavens and the new earth, or the eternal state, or heaven as we sometimes call it. And the main city, or the capital, of the new heavens and the earth, new earth, the main city, or the capital, of the eternal state is going to be the new Jerusalem. Have you ever wondered what this glorious city is going to be like? This city that descends from heaven at the end of the thousand years? Well, that is going to be our topic of discussion today. Now, the account of the New Jerusalem is found primarily in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's also found in the book of Hebrews and the book of Galatians and the book of John and a few other hints scattered here and there across the scriptures. We're going to start by looking at verse 3. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Now, there's a lot of precious truth loaded in this one verse. First of all, it tells us that the true tabernacle of God is not the earthly pattern down here on earth, but it is in heaven. It's the new Jerusalem itself, which is going to descend at the end of the thousand years. This has tremendous significance for the proper interpretation or the proper understanding of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Now, we understand as pre-tribulation rapture believers that this is talking about the saints. The next time they have physical contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to take them to his Father's house in heaven. He's going to take them where he presently is. But there's a lot of people who gainsay against the pre-tribulation rapture, particularly those in the post-trib camp, and who claim that this event that goes on in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3 is not going to be a vertical effort, but a horizontal effort. It's going to take the, the church sideways towards Jerusalem with a little pit stop or a little scenic overview stop in the clouds, but they're ultimately going to go to Jerusalem because they say the Father's house is in Jerusalem. But folks, if we're going to let the scriptures give us the proper interpretation of John chapter 14, according to this passage here in the book of Revelation, the true tabernacle, the true home of the Father, where the Father dwells, he physically dwells, is in glory. And it's not going to come down to earth till the end of the thousand years. And therefore, when we're in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, it's the church going up, stopping on the clouds, continuing all the way up to Jerusalem, where we're going to stay with the Father until it's time to come down for the events of the millennium with the Lord Jesus Christ. So those who think that John 14 verses 1 through 3 are going to take us to the Father's house here on earth are deeply and gravely mistaken. Secondly, I want you to understand that there's a progression in the church's relationship with the Godhead. In this dispensation, we start with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When we go to the next dispensation, we also add to the picture the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in flesh. When we go to the end of the thousand years, we move into the eternal state, we add the physical presence of the Father. So going on into eternity, we will have the physical presence of all three persons in the Godhead. This is a tremendous blessing. 
So let's move on to verse 11. Her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Now it's uncertain exactly what stone is meant here, but that's okay. That's not really necessary for the purposes. When we're dealing with crystal, we're obviously dealing with something that's translucent. It's, it's uh, uh, not just slightly translucent, but it's very translucent. It doesn't necessarily have to be colorless. It can have a light green, light blue sheen to it. It can have a light yellow, a light brown or amber sheen to it. Here we have, they're referring to jasper. Jasper historically varied, varied from very light yellow or brown to a moderate yellow or brown. It was a clear stone, it was translucent, and perhaps their language would have regarded it as crystal. When they're using the word crystal, they're not talking about what we call crystal. They're talking about clear stones that you can see through. Now, the glorious light shining through the walls of this city, shining through the buildings of this city, it reminded John of Jasper when light is shining through it. So there's apparently a, a light golden hue here that just uh, emanates through this city. It shines brilliantly and brightly when the light shines through it, and the light shining from inside to the outside, the whole city is glowing and shining with the glory of God. In verses 12 through 14, we read about 12 gates upon which are the names of the 12 uh, tribes, and there's 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles. Now, some are troubled by the presence of Israel here because ostensibly this city is the church, and so they get a little bit confused. Um, folks, this is not confusing the, Israel, the Jewish dispensation and the church dispensation. That actually keeps them very separate. What we got going on here is it's making it very clearly evident that there's a very critical place in the church that, that involves born-again Jews. For instance, we know that the 12 apostles, who are the foundation of the church, are going to reign over the 12 tribes of Israel. It's plainly stated in the Gospels. And we know that this city here is going to be the capital city of Jeru uh, in Jerusalem. It'll be the capital city of Israel as well as the capital city of the world. So there's a very prominent Jewish element here. But this is this is looking at the church from the perspective of the Jews, the prominent Jews that are in the church. It's not taking anything away from the Gentiles and their involvement in the church. It's just simply pointing us to the fact that the apostles and other Jews who are part of the foundation area of this church are going to be very prominent in this city and it's going to be represented on the walls and on the gates the place of these Jewish believers who are part of the church. In verse 16 we read the city is laid out like a square its length is as great as its breadth and he measured the city with a reed 12,000 furlongs its length breadth and height are equal. Now, most uh, prophecy teachers today teach that this city is 1,500 miles per side, but I want to point out that the Bible doesn't actually state that. I All it states is the measurement of the city is 1,500 miles or 12,000 furlongs. The furlong here is the 
is one-eighth of a Roman mile. So we have 15,000 Roman miles here, which is approximately the same as 1,500 modern Roman miles. Now, I think that myself, the city is 375 miles per side, which makes a circumference measurement of 1,500 miles. I think the measurement is of the city, not of one side of the city. Notice also that the city is 375 miles high. Now, I want to point something else here out too, that I don't believe the city is a cube. In my mind, I don't think the cube would make for a beautiful skyline. I think what we're going to have here is an insanely beautiful skyline. It'll be symmetrical. It'll be glorious with mighty structures stretching for the skies. It's going to have many insanely tall structures, and the tallest structures are actually going to be 375 miles high. Now, 375 miles is outside the Earth's gravitational field. If you had spaceports on top of these buildings that are 375 miles high, spaceships could take off without any great expenditure of energy, and they're already outside Earth's gravitational pull. For a spaceship to take off would be similar to the energy needed. You could throw a paper airplane into space, and it would keep going. So there's going to be very little energy need for spaceships to take off from the top of these buildings. Uh, and, and the believers for all of eternity will be involved in things like space exploration and mining and farming. Now also we read in verses 18 and verse 21. Verse 18 says the city itself is pure gold like clear glass. And verse 21 says the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now sometimes... I've seen hyper-technical people get all worked up and bent out of shape because the scriptures say it's just the main street that's pure gold. doesn't say the rest of the streets are pure gold. Well, hold on, folks. It says the whole city is pure gold. So this is talking about the buildings and, and other features of the city are pure gold. I mean, I think it's a safe assumption that if the main street in the whole city is pure gold, that probably all the streets are pure gold. But if all the streets aren't pure gold, they're obviously going to be made of very precious metals too. And maybe there's going to be a gold street and a silver street. You know, it's you can see where I'm going, a copper street, a platinum street, a palladium street. Whatever it is, it's going to be beautiful. Now, there's something else that's implied here when it talks about streets in, in buildings that are pure gold that's clear like glass. Now, I don't think that this is telling us, as some insist, that if we had actually pure gold, that pure gold would be very clear like glass, and that gold that we know it is the gold color that we know because it has impurities in it. And folks, I don't think this is correct. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that we're talking about gold here that has differences on the subatomic level, and these differences uh, give us gold that's not gold colored but clear colored. And this implies that gold is also going to be available in other colors, like just jet black 
and blue and green, that gold in different colors will be available for different uses. There's going to be multitudes of amazing uses for clear gold and multitudes of other uses for gold in other colors. Now, there's something else that's implied here. If the buildings and the streets are made of gold, this tells us that gold is available in such copious amounts that it doesn't have any artificial monetary or currency value. Gold is going to be used for, for where it's actually ideal in its usage. It's going to be used in industry. It's going to be used in manufacturing. It's going to be used in construction. It's going to be used in art. It's going to be used where gold is the ideal uh, usage. For instance, in many electronic situations, gold would be ideal, but we don't use gold for our wiring, and we don't use a lot of gold in some of our semiconductor parts because it's too expensive. But if gold was available, then gold would be the ideal use. And I think this does also imply that because of this vast amounts of precious metals and precious minerals that are going to be available in the New Jerusalem and in the New Heavens and New Earth, that on everything that we build or manufacture or do, we're always going to use the absolute most ideal materials for that product, for that project. We're never going to have to use less than ideal metals, less than ideal minerals, less than ideal materials, or less than ideal ingredients. This goes for everything. It'd never be less than ideal ingredients. And this also implies there's not going to be an artificial financial system that's based on precious metals like gold. Well, in verses 17 through 20, we read about the walls of the city. Now, the wall itself is plainly stated to be jasper. And again, we don't know for exact certain what stone this is, but it's definitely a stone that's translucent and appears to have some gold hue to it or some light brown or light amber uh, hue to it, maybe a honey-colored uh, uh, um, appearance. Now, the foundation layers are adorned with thick slabs of 12 different precious stones. So the lower levels of this wall are going to be covered with slabs of precious stones. The, the foundation layers will be covered with these slabs of precious stones. There's an insane amount of wealth here. Can you imagine 1,500 miles of city walls um, where the bottom layers are covered with massive slabs of precious and semi-precious stones? This is mind-boggling when you think about how many uh, metric tons of precious stones are there or how many cubic meters of precious stones are on this wall. Now, what's interesting about this is this implies that in various locations in our galaxy, there are insane, phenomenal deposits of precious minerals and precious metals waiting to be discovered and exploited. Can you imagine finding a, a mine somewhere with massive veins of emerald? Where you could just take and cut out massive slabs to use for chairs and to use for tables to, to make uh, bowls and plates out of them or maybe a countertop in your kitchen does that sound interesting to you well personally for myself i would prefer a granite countertop in a log and rock home but people are wired differently now 
These walls too are 144 cubits high, which probably has some spiritual significance. It's one of God's spiritual numbers. I'm not deep into those numbers myself, uh, but I do believe that numbers have spiritual value, particularly the common ones like 3 and 7 and 8 and 12 and 24 and 144, numbers like that. Um, now, these wall, which is 144 cubits high, is going to be more than 260 feet high. It's going to be an absolutely beautiful wall. But there's something about these walls you need to understand, and that I think the presence of these walls are merely symbolic. There's not going to be any evil to be kept out. But it, it has a symbolic... Uh, it, it's symbolic. It's really representing that evil is kept out. Now, in verse 21, we read about the that the 12 gates were 12 pearls, and each gate was one solid pearl. Now, this is also a fascinating observation. Here again, we have another indication with, uh, that joins the, the, all the gold and joins all the precious stones. We have an indication of the mind-boggling wealth that's going to be in the new heavens and the new earth, particularly the mind-boggling wealth that's in the new Jerusalem. Now, we read in the Old Testament that in Solomon's day, silver was, it was as common as the dust of the street. It's hard to imagine that kind of wealth. But the wealth in the new Jerusalem is going to transcend uh, the wealth that was in Jerusalem in Solomon's day, and it won't even be close. Now, the presence of these massive pearls implies, in my mind, that somewhere in our galaxy there are planets or maybe moons with vast seas, and in those vast seas are massive oysters so big that they make pearls hundreds of feet across. Pearls that you can carve one massive city gate out of and still have an insane amount of pearl left over to use for tables, for adorning walls in, in the rooms in your castles, for adorning floor with pearl. Uh, there's the infinite uses, coffee cups and teacups, just carved out of solid pearl. Going to be amazing. Now, once you lay hold of this uh, principle of seas with oysters and massive pearls and, and massive mines filled with precious stones, veins of precious stones and veins of precious metals that are a mind-boggling size, your, your imagination can start running like wildfire as you think of the fascinating possibilities and opportunities that face us in eternity. Now, just jumping from here and extrapolating with me for a moment, how about thinking of a jungle with trees that are one to two miles high. Can you imagine the amazing tree fort cities that you could make in, in, in a situation like that? Or massive, massive swamps with massive trees growing out of these swamps. Thousands and thousands of square miles of gorgeous swamp where living trees are growing up and their branches are intertangling. And you can have animals that live in the tree branches and jump around for hundreds of square miles and never come down to the ground. They never have to come down to the ground because they live in a forest that's on the massive branches. Well, there's just, it's endless, folks. Can you imagine creatures in vast seas somewhere that dwarf whales? Or how about 
a place, a planet somewhere that has sandworms like on Dune, except that they're not destructive. I mean, your mind can just start going all over the place. And I think we're just scratching the surface. The fact is, you're not probably going to be capable of thinking any cool thing in eternity that hasn't already been thought of and designed by God. Basically, folks, when you have your wildest imaginations that are that are literally true, because only imaginations that are false are things that pertain to lies and sin. Those, those are lies. That's wrong. But your imaginations about the glorious eternity, you're not going to ever think of something that God didn't already think about. And he's already prepared it for you. And all you can do, folks, is think God's thoughts after him. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Very important principle here. The church right now here on earth is a foretaste of the heavenly city. It's a foretaste of what lies beyond the millennium. The, uh, we're not living in the millennium ahead of time. We're living on the other side of the millennium when we're in the spiritual realm, folks. We have no earthly temple down here. There will be an earthly temple in the millennium. But people that have no earthly temple will be ruling over people that do have an earthly temple because they're still in the earthly dispensation. We were going to be, we're with Christ in the heavenly dispensation. And in this new Jerusalem, the Lamb and the Father are the temple. There's no need for a physical building. We can worship them in any building in that new Jerusalem that we please. So, also now in verse 23 we read, The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And in verse 25 we read, There is no night there. In verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 5, we read, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. Now, this has confused a lot of people. It's really common for prophecy teachers and for prophecy fans to say, There is no sun in the new creation. The Bible says there's no sun. No, it does not say any such thing. It says that there's no need for the sun or the moon in the new Jerusalem. There'll still be a need for the sun on the earth. There'll still be a need for the moon on the earth. Um, there'll be uh, summer, winter, seed time, and harvest forever. The scriptures are very clear that uh, for those people there in the lake of fire, there's going to be, uh, there, they'll, the smoke of their torment shall arise day and night forever. There's going to be day and night forever. The sun is going to rise and set forever. The new heavens with the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars are going to orbit forever. There's no end to this stuff, folks. So what's really going on here is the city is lit by the glory of, this, of the Father that shines through the sun. Same, this is a physical illustration of what we already spiritually know in the spiritual realm, that the glory of the Father, the moral glory of the Father shines through the moral glory of the sun. And in the New Jerusalem, the physical glory of the Father shines through the physical glory of the Son. So there's no need of the sun in the city, there's no need of the moon in the city, and there's no need of lights or lamps in the city. Now, there's some very interesting things about this. Because if the city is lit by the glory of God, there will be no shadows in the city. When you open up a drawer, open up a closet, there's just as much light in the deepest, farthest corner as there is in the middle of the street in the middle of the day. 
There will be no shadows. Everything is lit perfectly. In verse uh, chapter 22, in verses 1 and 2, we come to the river and the tree of life. And here we read of a pure river of life flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And, that, and we read about a tree of life that straddles both this river and it straddles the main street. So this is a very fascinating tree and a lot of people here, their, their mind just, they, they're not sure what to do with it. But this is like a fig tree. I've seen pictures on the internet of fig trees that actually cover several acres. Uh, their roots go out, new trees come up, those trees put out roots, and there's just a gigantic jungle of roots and trunks, and it's all one tree. It all started from one fig tree many, many centuries ago. This is what's really going on here. This one tree has many trunks. These uh, trunks and these trees are all connected together by one massive growth system, uh, thousands of sets of tree roots and thousands of tree trunks all over, but it's one tree, just like that many acre fig tree is actually just one fig tree. And this many, many acres, probably many, many square miles of the tree of life is going to be a massive, gorgeous forest with one tree. And it's going to straddle the whole length of this main street, and it's going to straddle the whole length of this river. And this tree, folks, is going to bring forth 12 different fruits, a different fruit every month of the year. This is mind-boggling. And the tree is also going to have its leaves, which have healing powers in it that are for the healing of the nations. Personally, I suspect that this tree is how eternal life and and a force similar to the resurrection is going to be ministered to those saints in the millennium who don't partake of the first resurrection. Somehow they have to, to be ministered eternal life and somehow they have to be ministered a change or a healing that undoes their sin nature. I think this is what we're reading about right here. They have the, the river of life, they have the tree of life, and this tree has leaves that are for the healing of the nations. My last thought, my twelfth thought here, folks, is that there's many passages in the Bible which speak about every tongue and tribe and people and nation being saved uh, in the church, and these people are going to be in the New Jerusalem. And I believe that all the glorified, resurrected saints from all of eternity are also going to have access to the new Jerusalem. Now, what's cool about this, about every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, is when we look at the world, when we look at nature, when we look at the world of man, we see a God who loves diversity. And it's perfectly reasonable to see this new Jerusalem as the most cosmopolitan city that's ever existed and ever will exist. It's everything that a city can be in its beautiful sense. And there's none of the ugly in this city that we often associate with cities. Every people and culture that have ever lived are going to be represented in this glorious new Jerusalem. We're going to see their cuisine. We're going to see their music. We're going to see their art. We're going to see their dress. We're going to see their architecture. We're going to see their culture. We're going to hear their language. We're going to, their languages are going to be read in 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 written and spoken. In this city, there's going to be beautiful parks. There's going to be uh, beautiful buildings. There's going to be the architectural cues, like bringing the outside inside, bringing the inside outside. It's going to be an insanely gorgeous city. 
There's going to be hundreds of thousands of miles of streets and alleyways to explore. There's going to be restaurants and coffee shops and tea shops and bakeries and ice cream shops and art galleries and music stores. I mean, everything that people have an interest in that they want to bless other people with is going to be represented in this city. There's going to be underground passageways. There's going to be skyways. There's going to be uh, spaceports on top of the tall buildings. There's going to be connection walkways between these buildings. It's going to be insanely beautiful. It's going to be insanely practical. It's going to wow us beyond our, the, what we can imagine being wowed. And in this gorgeous city, folks, every believer, male or female, is going to have their mansion in this wonderful city. Uh, this city is so vast that you're going to have everybody's mansion is going to be huge. Now, some people like to say, well, the Bible doesn't say mansions. Well, folks, it doesn't have to say mansions. I mean, it just says abode. An abode can be a small house. It can be a big house. For a king, his abode is a castle. For a peasant, his abode is a shack. For a Roman soldier who's in an, a temporary encampment, his abode is a tent. Folks, there's nothing in the word abode there that, that is definitive about uh, what we're going to be living in. What's definitive is that you have a place that's your own. You have your own abode. We get the character of that abode by discerning everything the Bible says about the glories and beauties of eternity and by the vastness of a reward. And if God is promising us that we're going to inherit all things with Christ Jesus, uh, through Christ Jesus, that all things are yours, um, and if we have promises like whatsoever you ask in, in Christ's name shall be given you, don't believe for a moment these people that try and convince you that you're just going to have like a little tiny apartment uh, that's, or, or maybe 12 of you crammed into a cubicle like you were at basic training. It's just not going to work that way, folks. It says you have your own abode, and that abode is going to be the kind of abode that you want, and the Lord Jesus is already preparing it, and there's nobody whose inheritance in this um, factor alone, whose abode is going to more represent a little hovel in the woods than it's going to, to be like a castle of a king. At any rate, I'm getting worked up over that point because it means a lot to me because I think the way people uh, dumb down on that verse is really, uh, is really undercutting the goodness of God in the vast breadth and scope of the promises of God for the believers in eternity. So in conclusion, I've only touched on some of the aspects of this glorious city, folks. We could go in a lot of other directions and cover a lot of other topics. And I touched on some topics like no more tears in other videos. Uh, folks, you have an amazing eternity coming. And your home base in eternity is going to be this glorious city. So keep looking up, folks. Your redemption draws nigh. Get your eyes off all the stupidity and the garbage and the filth and the ugly that's in this world and get your eyes on the glory that God is going to re be revealing to you and get your eyes on what you can do for Christ while, while we have a little time remaining. 
Folks, soon you're going to be raptured up, meet the Lord in the clouds, and go to this glorious city. And then you know what you're going to discover? You've discovered that everything that I told you, I've only scratched the surface. It's going to be like the Queen of the South who said, the half hath not been told me. Eyes wide open, brain engaged, heart on fire. We'll see you next time.